Kane is in the building. <laughs> Guys, you know how much we love Liberty shirts. Their flannels are unbelievable, and when we were job hunting, we wore Liberty shirts for our interviews and now to work every day. We thought Liberty was our secret until we started seeing their shirts on TV on Fox Sports every Saturday and Sunday. Now we know they are for real, but they are still our secret. Save 10% on your order when you enter the promo code 3PEAT at checkout. Hello, and welcome back to another 3PEAT podcast episode, season four, episode 13. I'm your host, Josh Ramowitz, and once again, joining me are my other co-hosts, Alex Castle, Stephen Bonazzo, and joining us once again is our social media guy, TJ Hummel. TJ, welcome back. Thank you, boys, for having me back on. It's always a pleasure. Boys, it's great to see all of you. We took a break last week. I promise. I just want to, I think there's something I got to get off my chest and clear things up in case if the 3P audience uh, doesn't know. So and I, I want to make things clear. So, yes, it is tr- the rumors are true. I don't know if how many of you have heard the rumors, but the rumors are true. I did uh, – I am I – didn't, I didn't start it. I'm a, a part of another podcast. I uh, was doing one for one of my classes, and our professor said we we're so good that we should create our own. So, you know, the other guys said, you know, they knew that I had 3P, but I said, listen, you know, I decided to join them, but I'm not leaving 3P. Trust me, that's not – never going to be a thing. You know, 3P till I die. Uh, you know, we started this, you know, we started this, this was the first ever podcast, you know, the, the meaning it, I, I just too much love for, uh, to three Pete. So yes, I may be recording with another group and, um, and make another podcast, but as you guys know, I like to talk. So it allows me to talk more, uh, and it's more experience, but listen, I am not going anywhere for three Pete unless if they kick me out, which I hope they don't, but I just want—I just wanted to get that off my chest because it seemed like there's some maybe a little bad blood. So, but I, listen, nothing, nothing with me. So, I hope, uh, I hope everyone understands and everyone's clear on the situation. So, I'm not going anywhere. It's still gonna be normal. It's still gonna hear me rant. It's still gonna hear me talk a lot and complain about all my teams. Trust me, that's not changing. So, this. Just putting that out there. Promise, back to you. Thank you. Wow, some entrance, Stevie. Very dramatic of you. But it's a good thing we never uh, extended your contract and you're only on a one-year rookie deal. Uh, that's ending soon then, huh? Castle's got an extension. He's, he's lucky. So Castle's the only safe one on three, Pete. I need to feed my kids, so I appreciate the extension. Well, so, I'm, gradu- I'm graduating, so am I, I'm going to have to do something. Hopefully uh, the new one maybe will extend me. I'll say that. I, I, I happen to know a good attorney, so I think we could work something out. Perfect. Anyway, after that whole thing, we got a great show once again for you boys. We're going to talk some football. Got some hoops to start off the show. And I know, Castle, I'm directing this question to you just because I want to talk Knicks Nets. Again, that happened on Tuesday. It was a great game. It was great to see a hard fought New York game. The Knicks came on the losing end of a, new, uh, of a Brooklyn Nets victory, 101-100. Uh, 
was a great game. And it's great to see both teams fighting until the end. But there was some very questionable plays that really changed changed the momentum of the game. We saw the Nets go on an early run, then the Knicks cut that, and then they went on their own run. But Julius Randle's tech, 40 seconds left, that, in my opinion, kind of like blew the game for the Knicks. I know they were still in it and they still had a chance, but when your best player gets a tech at the end of the game, that really is just, no matter what team you are and what sport you are, when your best player costs you possible chance at winning the game within seconds, that's got to hurt, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I was very frustrated with that. You know, like like you said, Randall's the best player on the team. And he has to keep his composure. You know, there's a lot of young guys on this team. Thibodeau is a coach that doesn't put up with that. And I'm sure Randall got a nice earful in the locker room. But no, I mean, especially against Brooklyn out of all teams, rivalry, you know, what we both have going for us this season, two most likely playoff teams, deep run at the playoffs. That, that, that's not how it should be. And I hope Randall understands what he did cannot fly, not just against the Nets, but like you said, any sport, any game, if you're the top guy, you have to lead by example. And how does that look to these younger guys when, you're, when, when, when the star of the team, the guy who's making the most money, it, is, it, it, it was a very selfish thing, and it was not the right time or place. And I just really hope Randall can learn from it. But like you said, what a game it was. Had so much fun watching it. A lot of takeaways. And for me, the biggest takeaway, something we've been talking about a lot, Josh, Kemba Walker does not fit with this Knicks team anymore. Exactly. Alec Burks, great point guard to start, can do well on both sides of the ball. He's physical. He's familiar with the system. Very sad because, you know, Kemba's a New York guy, and I really thought Tibbs would be able to work some, you know, work something out with him, fit him in. But I really think that injury, his most recent injury, I believe the most recent one was really what set him back. Yeah. And I've been saying it for a while. Kemba Walker is not what he used to be. He's not the Yukon uh, Husky that we all, especially Steve loves to watch. 10 years, it was more than 10 years ago now where he led the Yukon Huskies to the national championship game. And 10 was, years, 2011. Yep. Okay, exactly 10 years. But so many knee surgeries, not as serious as Derrick Rose, but he just hasn't been able to provide the offense, that spark that the Knicks needed, and his defense is just terrible. So, Steve, my, my next question to you is, what's next? <laughs> he's, ne- he's clearly out of the rotation. Tibbs said he's not going to see any minutes for the time being, with Alec Burks being the starting point guard and Derrick Rose manning the second team. Do you see him fitting in elsewhere? Because he's not the only star now. Not This isn't just Knicks-related. But there's other big-name stars who are up there in age who are who got booted out of the rotation. We saw John Wall in the beginning of the year. Now with my Nets, Blake Griffin. So what's next for Kemba Walker? You know, it's um, before I give you my answer, it, it, I'm sad about it because – Obviously, being a UConn fan and living in Connecticut, we don't have the pro team. So UConn basketball is like a pro team, the women and the men's. And I've stated this before. 
So to see a UConn legend, Kembo, who's had a lot of success in the league so far, and to come back home for New York, especially the Knicks, you know, that was like his team and, and it not working out. Um, it, it's sad to see. So what's next for him? You know, I don't, it's kind of tough to say. Um, does he get a buyout with the Knicks and then try to join another team? But it seems like it doesn't matter where he goes now. I mean, to be honest, I thought when he first signed with Boston, oh, wow, that's a good fit right there. Playing alongside Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, you know, I was like, Obviously, they got Kyrie. Thought he was going to bring them to the next step, the finals. That didn't work out. So I said, "But Kemba, you know what? That's a good signing right there. That's a good replacement for Kyrie." Um, and they haven't really had a point guard like Kemba in a while. So, really, since Rondo. Uh, so I thought, yeah, that would work out. That didn't. And then New York, you guys needed the or Castle. The Knicks needed a point guard. Really, the the struggle last year. Your weakness was your point guard. It was uh, what Alfred Payton. So, yeah. so when you signed Kemba, that was like perfect. And for some reason, just hasn't worked out. I don't know. Maybe it was once he left Charlotte, where he was the guy. He was the face of the franchise. And then once he wasn't the face of the franchise anymore. And you know, for some guys, maybe you think that would work out better, where they don't have all that pressure and have to control the game. Um, but maybe for him, he he didn't need all that pressure to help lead a team. And, you know, I don't know why it's not really working out. It's just, it's sad to think and sad to see. So he can try to go somewhere else. And I, I just, it's tough to think of where he can go, where he could fit. You know, now, like, I mean, even if he would go back to Charlotte, that wouldn't make sense because now they got their guy Lamelo. So is he going to come off the bench? I don't know if he would, if that would be good. You know, and they got Terry Rogier who's been going off. So it's tough to, it's really tough to think and where he could go, where he could succeed. And, you know, Kemba's not the guy that's going to like make headlines of him complaining. I mean, we haven't heard anything of him complaining with him, not even getting benched, but being completely removed out of the entire rotation. Like he's not seen any minutes at all. And you haven't heard of anything of him complaining or of him wanting out. So that's where you see the kind of player uh, he is. And that's the kind of guy you want on the team. That's why it's just, regardless if you're a UConn fan or a Kemba fan, it's just, you know, it's frustrating to see a guy who is such a team player who gives it his all, gives it his all and, and just can't put it together. So I hope wherever, I hope he does turn it around, whether it's with the Knicks or another team, because he deserves it because he's put a lot into this game. And um, especially those years with Charlotte, they were not easy years at all. I mean, that one year where it was a shortened season, they have like seven. Well, maybe that was a pick that they got, Kemba. But either way, um, Charlotte wasn't the best run. So, you know, he deserves to go somewhere that's in a winning situation. I think any team, any situation with a veteran who has been in the game for as long as he has now, 10 years, whether you're emotionally connected to him or not, you still got to feel for him. He was, he was brought in as a starting point guard. And yes, the Knicks didn't pay him that much, so they are very lucky in this situation. Only eight mil for two years. But the Rockets, for example, John Wall hasn't seen the court once this year. They're paying him over $40 million for four years, I believe. And the weird thing is, is like um, I saw somewhere, I believe Kemba is like, his shooting numbers are some of the best of his career. And yet, he's just not putting up. Well, field goal percentage is, but he's his 
the amount of shots he's taken are significantly down. Okay, they're down. The assists are down. He's all he's got the worst defensive efficiency. So it, it adds up why he's he's out of the rotation. Yeah, but it, you know it's crazy to think that like hmm, his shooting numbers are up. Why is he out? But then you like promise you just say there are all those other factors that go into it. Really, I believe it's just defensively the defense. Yeah, will, defense. He would him, uh, Fournier, R.J. Barrett, Randall, and Mitchell Robinson. That was the starting five for the first fifteen games. They played the most minutes out of any start any five. They had by far the worst plus minus in the league. They were at like negative two hundred, whereas the bench on the Knicks had a, one of the highest plus minuses, where they were all like plus like ninety. So they're able to bring the Knicks back into games and possibly win games. But the Knicks are only a 500 team right now because of the struggles from the starters. So that's starting the games down, which we saw in the Nets game. So that was evident even without Kemba and the slow start in the third quarter. Same thing. And we saw uh, Coach Thibodeau make adjustments, benching Fournier right away. And that almost helped the Knicks come back and win the game. But yeah, I agree with what you're saying, Steve. His field goal percentage is close to, if not better than what it has been, but the other stats are just down terribly. And he's never been a solid defender. So no, and he doesn't have the size of a, you know, he's, he's, he's undersized. He's an undersized. Yeah. Guard. And you know, even like, um, you know, Frig Nita Kleena, um, or how do you pronounce it? Nita. Nila Kina. Nila Kina. Okay. Yeah. He, you know, he wasn't, he was taller than Kemba, but his just, his reach was insane. Like Kemba doesn't have that reach or the height. So that's why he's just not the best defender, but then usually you had him out there for, you know, his offense and, you know, his playmaking ability and all that. And he's just not giving you all that like he did in Charlotte and a little bit in Boston, not too much. So, you know, who knows? Maybe he does need a, to be like not even benched, but completely taken out of the rotation to kind of like reset him. And then, all right, what do I need to do to turn this, uh, turn the ship around and, and get back to where I was. And I don't think he'll ever go back to his prime all-star days with Charlotte, but I still think there is room for improvement for him because there's no way he just falls off like this and never rebounds back. I, I think there's got to be some sort of turnaround. Yeah, and I'm sure there'll be a team who wants to bring him in as like a veteran mentor type. Look what Derrick Rose has done with his role in New York, and he's embraced it. He's this veteran mentoring guys like Emmanuel Quickly and Obi Toppin. So who knows, a team who, like the Magic, for example, They've got Cole Anthony, Markel Fultz, Jalen Suggs, all young guys, all first, second, third year guys in the league. You definitely learn from a mentor, and they don't have one in Orlando, and that's just off the top of my head. So I'm sure there'll be a fit for him, and this is far from over. We're going to continue to follow it. But now we're on to the gridiron. We're going to welcome TJ because he's going to be joining us for this, so we're very excited. First topic I want to throw at you guys is kind of something that, that I've just been thinking about. I haven't seen this any like on any sports topics, any sports stations. This is kind of just like one of those shower thoughts that popped into my head is the amount of interceptions and turnovers that we're seeing in the NFL this year. And it's I know it's a very odd way to start 
the the segment. But I was just thinking, like, all of these quarterbacks who are in the vote in the MVP voting and the top of the stat the stat leaders, they are their turnover rates are ridiculously high this year, and I have no idea why. I'm looking at some of the guys right now. Ryan Tannehill, Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow, Matt Ryan, Pat Mahomes, Zach Wilson, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Herbert, Josh Allen, all have double-digit interceptions right now. Tom Brady has nine. There's still six more games to play in the season. Brady threw nine interceptions all of last year. Pat Mahomes threw six last year. Aaron Rodgers threw five last year. What is going on, TJ? We haven't heard from you yet. We just brought you on. Do you have any idea, like, what is going on? Because I love watching the game, and it seems like we're seeing shootouts in some of these games. But why are the turnover rates so high? Uh, before I answer your question, I just want to put out there that the New York Giants defense has at least one interception in the last eight games. I'm putting that out there right now. Uh I think it, it, it would never, it would not, it wouldn't be a TJ uh, entrance without mentioning the Giants at the top. So I, I, I'm, it was expected. I'm, yeah, yeah. I mean, I had to. I had to. Either, either way, um, I think defenses are starting to adjust. Like, I, I think defensive coordinators have started to become a lot more aggressive in their play calling. I think we can see it. Not to name drop the Giants again, but with Patrick Graham and. Even with the defense they're going up against this week in Miami, they're they're very blitz-heavy defenses. And I think with all these great quarterbacks that you've mentioned, they're finally getting more pressure than I think they've they've gotten in seasons past. I think they're just getting they're they're not having as much comfort in the pocket as they're used to. So I think they're starting to adjust to that as well. And we're seeing we're seeing the interceptions, we're seeing the turnovers, we're seeing bad throws, we're seeing forced throws. I think, I think the defense and the, the evolution of the defensive play calling, at least this season, has, has a key role in that. Now, Castle, this baffles me still because when I think of the quarterback in the NFL right now, I think about how many rules favor the quarterback. Pass interference calls more than likely always go to the receiver targeting calls. We've even seen this year, the roughing the passer calls are ridiculous. And some of the calls are just ridiculous that are being called. It seems like if you blow on the quarterback, he, it'll be a penalty, a roughing the passer penalty, but these interceptions levels are still so high. So it doesn't really seem like there's a balance so is it like a lack of care from receivers when it's running routes? Is it just like what TJ said, the defense is adapting? Like what's your input on this? So it's funny. Up, in, up until we started this conversation, I didn't have an inkling. But when you started listing those quarterbacks, and, and, and if you don't mind, I'm going to have you start listing them again one by one. First quarterback you named, name him. Ryan Tannehill. Okay. Tannehill, right? Let's forget the fact that he hasn't had two of his receivers. Derrick Henry is on the IR, out for the season. 
So that automatically increases Tannehill throwing the ball more, mm-hmm. getting, get, getting more desperate, chucking it up the ball more. Next quarterback. Lamar Jackson. No J.K. Dobbins. No, um, Jesus, I'm blanking out. But you know who I'm talking about. The other running back that also got hurt. They had so many injuries in Dobbins the season. And, and who, Gus Edwards. Who, and, Gus Edwards. Gus their, Edwards. Their, their power back from last year. Thank you. Gus Edwards. He got hurt. Lev Bell, that experiment failed. So now it's really just been Freeman. So that has created um, Lamar to run the ball more and to throw it more, which increases the interception rate. Next quarterback. I'm going to skip down because I'm curious about your opinion on this one. Patrick Mahomes, 11 interceptions. Well, that's right now. He finished last year. With six interceptions. Right now, there's six games to be played, and he's already thrown a career-high 11. All right. Well, I still can present the case that their running back situation is not good either. But they've uh, never – but throughout – Edwards Alaire was showing potential. But, but for this situation, what I'll say is, is I think a lot of these games, Mahomes was – we all know Mahomes has the best arm in the league. I don't care what anyone else says he has got a cannon attached to his body. And I think in a lot of these games, out of desperation, he was chucking the ball a lot. He was, he was not being rational. So that's what I think. But the whole point that I was trying to make was, and, and I, I'd love to hear what you have to say if anyone else wants to jump in. I think this has been a crazy year for running back situations for a lot of these teams and I think quarterbacks have just had to get desperate with some of these throws. And like TJ said, defenses are adjusting. I mean, think about it. When you're going into a game against a team like the Titans where Derrick Henry is out of the picture and you know Tannehill is going to be throwing the ball more, it'll be easy to, fig- to figure it out. So I do agree with TJ's point about these defenses adjusting. But for me... I think the biggest thing is that a lot of these teams who had great running games, that leg has been cut off for the offense and they've had to rely on the arm a lot more, which only increases the percentage of throwing more interceptions. And that's a very interesting point. And now, Steve, I'm going to ask you a question. Basically from what Castle is saying is the running back is a very important position. And we all know that. But it seems like teams like to take that for granted and that there's a narrative, which I really don't like. We'll get into that later about, oh, running backs are very replaceable because look at all the injuries and then look, they'll be uh, their backup getting 100 yards a game to fill in. But it seems like they're guys like Dalvin Cook, Alvin Kamara, Christian McCaffrey, their absence is notable. Like, it is notable when they are not on the field because quarterbacks are air-heavy, and that leads to heavy turnovers. So do you think that these running backs are, in a way, underrated and underappreciated because of it? Oh, for sure. You know, and I think when they mean the replaceable is that, like, you could go out and – Look at like a guy like James Robinson, undrafted free agent. Jaguars sign him. 
not even like I said, not drafted, sign him. And then he was like uh, you know, one of the highest besides Derek Henry was like the highest leading rusher last year for the NFL. And now he's considered one of the better backs in this league. Or even for the Bears, when David Montgomery went down, Khalil Herbert, who was like a six round pick, stepped up and looked like a promising young back. You know, he had like 80, 190 some rushing yards and the couple of, you know, games he started. So I think in that aspect that, you know, you could find guys easily for receiver uh, running backs um, to fill in voids, but guys like Derrick Henry, McCaffrey, Kamara, you know, they, they are not replaceable. They are underrated. You know, they, what they offer, I mean, the Titans whole offense is pretty much Derrick Henry, you know, and then, it allows guys like AJ Brown to succeed, in my opinion, you know, because really Tina Hill doesn't have to throw it 45 times a game. He can hand it off a lot. And then when he needs to make the throws, he, he can, but now when you don't have a guy like Derrick Henry and they're kind of recycling through all these running backs, it makes it a lot tougher on Ryan Tina Hill or for the saints when they're missing, you know, the receivers, at least they had Camara to, catch the ball and then run the ball and pretty much be their entire offense. And when he's out, it's tough to make offense. So, you know, and same thing with McCaffrey. So like you could see that, yes, you can find guys that can, you know, fill in and, and, you know, Chuba Hubbard's been a pretty good replacement um, or even like Alexander Madison. He's a great young back for them, for the great backup. Every time that Dalvin Cook goes out, he steps in and does a great job. But obviously, when Dalvin Cook's on the field, he's a game changer. You need to watch out for Dalvin Cook. You need to watch out for Kamara and all these guys. So, you know, yes, you could say all running backs are replaceable because they're easier to find. You know, it's easier to hit on a running back by, you know, getting them late in the draft um, than it is, say, receiver or edge rusher, especially quarterback. But doesn't mean that they're not – I mean, not that people saying they're not needed, but it doesn't mean that, you know, they shouldn't get any respect still. I mean, look at Jonathan Taylor, what he's done for the Colts. You know, I mean, just unbelievable. Right now, he's kind of like their offense. He's what's really getting them going. And then it allows, you know, again, Wentz doesn't have to throw as much as he did at Philly. And that's why I think Wentz is having a better season because Jonathan Taylor has been such a monster. So, you could see how a running back really can take the ease off a lot of these other positions. And yet everyone just kind of, like I said, disrespects them. And uh, we can get another one of you soon, or, you know, we can go out in the draft late and then just take a random running back and, you know, he'll probably do fine or he'll find one in free agency. So I I think that a lot of these top running backs are underrated. You know, obviously people love them. You're going to see, you know what? I mean, look at fantasy. Who's going to all the top picks? It's all the running backs because they can do so much. They're so versatile, you know, that they can catch the ball, run the ball, block. I mean, and obviously you don't get points of fantasy for blocking, but like for an actual NFL team, like they offer so much and then I don't think they get the credit they deserve. And then when they go out, you know, this is, and then people are like, well, this is why running backs are replaceable because, you know, they can get injured a lot. You know, they got a little, a lot of wear and tear and all this other stuff. But, you know, when you, when those tops, top running backs go down these teams they teams feel the absence of them because 
they offer a lot more than people think of just they get the ball handed to them and then they just run. No, it's a lot more than that. And it's very noticeable with the New York Giants with Saquon not really being on the field the last two-ish years now. The TJ, now I'm going to pose you this next question. Steve just mentioned a lot of running backs. He said Dalvin Cook, Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara, just to name a few. The crazy part about all those running backs that he mentioned is that they're all in the same draft, the 2017 draft. That also included Joe Mixon, Leonard Fournette, James Conner, just to name another few more. Out of those that he mentioned and that I just mentioned, who do you think is the best one? And then we'll let the other boys jump in and give their input inputs. So I'm putting you on the spot. It's Christian McCaffrey, Dalvin Cook, Calvin Kamara. Who do you think is the best one right now? And that's a very tough question. You're going to have to give me, like, I need to, like, process a second because you just gave me so much talent I have to pick from. Oh, uh, ask one of the other boys first. Give me, like, I need I need to process this real quick. Steve, you love talking. Do you have do you have one? I'm sure. You, I'm sure yeah. he does. You want to know what it is? Dalvin Cook. Here's my here's my reasoning. Alvin Kamara is a very explosive back. He's very good. But if you look at it, you know he's more. He's more. I think he's better receiving. You know, catching the ball like a quick little pass, little dump off, and then making the moves. In reality, like, if you were just to go hand it off, um, you know, that's why I think they had Mark Ingram. They always had the other guy to compliment Alvin Kamara. You know, he kind of needs a compliment. McCaffrey, he is good. He is good. Um, you know, so it, he was. He makes it tough. But I, don't, I just think Dalvin Cook is, like, just the, more of a true running back position. Not that obviously McCaffrey or Kamara um, aren't, but Dalvin Cook can catch a ball, and man, he can really run the ball. You know, he can just—he doesn't need to bounce anything to the outside, or I mean, he could just take it right up the middle and just you know torch the defense. So, um, and obviously, like Joe Mixon, and it's tough with these guys because a lot of these guys are injury prone. So I would say, like, you know, pick the best one because. They are healthy more of the time, but if you look at the list, you know, CMC, Kamara, uh, Delvin Cook, Joe Mixon even, Leonard Fournette, they've seen their fair share of uh, injuries. So you can't say one's really played a lot more than the others because they've all kind of missed some time. Um, I would say probably what, Kamara's played the most, right, or Fournette. Uh, but I just don't think Fournette's the best running back in that class. But that's why I, I personally believe Dallin Cook is the best running back from that class. Um, and they're all, I mean, that class was just stacked. Yeah. And I'm just curious because I'm sure everyone's going to have their own opinion. And it's going to be different for everyone. Like I have a different opinion right now than you. I think probably the best is either Kamara or McCaffrey. And then it's Dalvin Cook. I think, when you think of offense in the Carolina Panthers system, it's McCaffrey and then the quarterback. You don't think of even when Cam Newton was healthy, healthy, 
it was always run run McCaffrey, and if not, then it was pass McCaffrey, and then it was get your receivers involved. And it's the same thing with the Saints. It seems like where it's the back end of Drew Brees' career into now, where they have essentially uh, new quarterbacks like every game, whether it's Jameis Winston, Trevor Simeon, or Taysom Hill now, it is the Alvin Kamara show regardless. So, Castle or TJ, do either one of you have a different <laughs> a different running back? I don't have a different one, no. Uh, so I don't know really how much I'll elaborate. It's very tough for me, but I think at the end of the day, I have to give it to CMC, even though he hasn't played as much as he could. He's just the he's just so explosive and so versatile. Now, listen, Dalvin Cook, in my opinion, is right there. Like Steve said, he can run right up the middle. He's big. He's physical, but. CMC, I think because of his size, because he's not more bulkier, he's more elusive. You know, he can hurdle, he can bounce to the, to the outside. And he's, and he, and he's the guy, he's the guy on that offense. Dalvin Cook. Yeah. He's a superstar running back, but don't for, don't forget what that duo has done. Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen and, 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 while we were sort of on the subject of quarterbacks and interceptions, one guy who's not throwing a lot is Captain Kirk. He's only has two picks this season. But my point is, is that if he was fully healthy, never had to deal with these injuries, I don't think it'd be a debate. I mean, you look at what he was doing at Stanford, absolutely insane. So I agree, Josh. I think best guy in this class, CMC. And I'm and I'm glad Stevie said uh, Dalvin Cook because honestly I've had him as the third option, but I'm glad that you think he's the best one because different opinions on these running backs is good to hear. Now TJ, I put you on the spot, so I got to bounce back to you. I hope I gave you enough time to think about it. So let's hear what you got cooking up. I mean, all of you touched on fantastic running backs, and I really can't argue with either of your placements in the rankings, but I do want to mention somebody who we we may have forgotten about in this draft class. So he didn't get drafted, but uh, Austin Eckler. I'm not saying he's a top running back compared to the, the ones I mentioned, but he I would have him in the, I would have him at like four or five for sure. He he has produced for he has produced for the Chargers. He's he's a dual threat. He can run. He can he can catch. He can he can return kickoffs. Yeah, he's got plagued with injuries, I believe, last season and the season prior. But still, he's put he's put up the numbers, and I think it puts him in a conversation, like you had said, maybe four or five, easily top ten. And I figured maybe instead of mentioning either the ones that you had mentioned or Steve or Castle, I figured throw in Austin Eckler to stir up the pot. I'm glad you mentioned Austin Eckler. I love I love his game. I see him as like a mini Alvin Kamara. He's so similar in terms of how he runs out of the backfield. 
but he's better as like a receiving back and fantasy the fantasy people who have him love him because of what he provides uh with Justin Herbert throwing him the ball in the backfield. Thank you, TJ, for mentioning Austin Eckler. And I'm glad you took some time to think about it instead of being put on the spot because I doubt you would have thought of that right away. Yeah, yeah, I, I kind of forgot about it, honestly. And then I had to do a little research and maybe find the running back not mentioned, and he popped out, and here we are. So now shifting gears a bit. Now we're going to move into similar topic, but – for wide receivers, we've already seen draft classes like the 2017 running back class produce some studs, and we're starting to see last year's draft class do the same for wide receivers. We saw CeeDee Lamb, Jerry Judy, Justin Jefferson, T. Higgins, just to name a few, all looking like they're they're growing into this league. Justin Jefferson is looking like an all-pro. CeeDee Lamb is on his way to doing the same. Jerry Judy has potential to do. So I want to make this one quick. I don't want to go into as much elaboration. because It seems like there's more of an obvious choice. But who has impressed you the most out of this wide receiver class? And it doesn't need to be any of those that I mentioned. So Steve, I'll let you go first. Well, yeah, I got to keep it with Minnesota. Justin Jefferson. I mean, that dude's just a monster. Uh, what he did in his rookie year. 80-something receptions, or mine has been 80 um, even, and then 1,400 yards. It was unbelievable. And then it was like, can he rebound for this year? Would he be able to repeat the same kind of year he had last year? And I don't think he'll reach quite as high of the yards. I mean, he's – but he's – put up. I mean, he already already has over 1,000 yards now. He's a couple of touchdowns shy of what he had last year. So he just keeps on producing, producing, and proving to be a major threat. And, you know, they traded away Stefan Diggs. You know, some thought that might be a big loss. And then they get Justin Jefferson. And to be honest, you know, he might be on pace to be better than what Stefan Diggs was for them. And, you know, who Steph, you know, how Stefan Diggs is now, even so. Um, he, he really, I knew he would be good. Uh, just watching him at LSU, you knew he had the talent to play at this next level. But to be honest, I didn't think he was going to perform how he has so far. And I mean, what he's done so far in this league is just unbelievable. And, you know, and to think, no offense to Kirk Cousins, but this is with Kirk Cousins throwing in the ball. Imagine if he had a Aaron Rodgers. A- hey, 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 this is bias. This is some NFC North bias. No Kirk, Cousin- no Kirk Cousins slander is allowed. Come on, but I said if he had an Aaron Rodgers, you know, imagine like if he actually had. Oh well, yeah, Aaron Rodgers owns the Bears, so it's fair. Regardless, Aaron Rodgers pretty much owns some of the entire league. I mean, that dude's a monster. I gotta admit it. I, you know, he is just watching him. It's just not fair. Some of the things he does, but um, but if he actually had, listen, Kirk Cousins is a competent quarterback. You know, and obviously we joke around, or not just we, but. You know, football fans joke around with Kirk Cousins that he sucks. He's not the worst quarterback that's ever played in this game. He's not the best. Um, but he, if he had a better quarterback or one of the top quarterbacks in this league, I mean, I don't even know how well he would do. So he's impressed me the most. And obviously the other guys have impressed me. I think Jerry Judy, um, 
he's got a bit of a tough situation in Denver with the quarterback situation and him getting injured week one uh, didn't help. He missed a lot of weeks, but you know, he's good too. So th- that class was, um, that class was special. And I think over time we'll see it really turn into one of the best classes. I was just messing with you about the Kirk Cousins slander. I, and I totally agree with what you were saying though. Yeah, not even an Aaron Rodgers, but someone like Tyler Murray or someone like Dak Prescott, for example. Like Derek Carr, even. Yeah, like what we're seeing with uh, C.D. Lamb. Before you other boys go, I'm going to throw out a name that you probably weren't thinking of. And because what I look at it, when I, when I see a guy jumping from their first year to second year, I want to see big big improvement. And there's no one who's made a bigger jump from their first to second year than Michael Pittman Jr., what he's done on the Colts is beyond impressive. He's gone from a guy who is essentially the backup to T.Y. Hilton to being a staple wide receiver one, not just for the Colts, but I'd say for fantasy owners, for fans who like watching football, because with his height, it's not just about deep routes. It's his crossing routes across the middle. It's his out routes. He's got some insane speed for a guy who is six four and he already is a is over 800 yards receiving averaging 15 yards a catch he had one touchdown last year he's got five this year he's got 60 catches already there's still six games left to be played he's built he's built like a tight end lining up on the outside and no surprise why Carson Wentz's stats are Doing pretty well. I mean, it helps when you have Jonathan Taylor in the backfield. You can hand it off to him 20, 30 times a game. But you got to have some receivers to catch the ball. And Michael Pittman definitely helps out. And there's no surprise why I didn't mention Carson Wentz's name earlier. Because he's got Michael Pittman catching everything. Except that interception he threw last week that was intercepted by Antoine Winfield Jr. But other than that, Michael Pittman's catching everything. and his second year leap has been incredible. And I know I'm not the only one who thinks that I'm sure you other boys who've gone, gone glimpses of him agree because he's, he's insane. And I think he has potential to be a really, really special kid in this league and talked about for years to come. Yeah. Some of his games on uh, tape this year have been really impressive. And some of the plays he's made, like, it's got they're, not e- they're not easy, and he's just making no. all, he's making them look real easy. Yes, I know he's the Colts did get a good one with him. You just got to give him some more time, and um, and then before you know, it, I think he'll be definitely the number one receiver for them. And who knows, maybe he could keep moving up the list for top receivers in the game. And I think it's also crazy that they got him in the second round, got Jonathan Taylor in the second round. So Colts, yeah, that's, that's unbelievable. The, the Colts. They know how to draft, it seems like. So yes, they do. That's that, crazy. I, I forgot about that. Wow. So while Steve continues to be mesmerized, do either one of you have a, another wide receiver in mind? I hate to give him the credit, but the guy that I've been the most impressed with is CeeDee Lamb. I didn't follow him too much, but I know that he was competing with some other talent at Alabama. And to me – He went to Oklahoma. Oh, he went to Oklahoma? Yeah. My apologies. I thought he went to Alabama. For Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs you're thinking of. 
Okay. Well, regardless, he was still he still was competing with a lot. He came in as a rookie, being paired with Amari Cooper, which I'm sure was intimidating. But in my opinion, he's kind of been playing better than him lately. I find him to be a really explosive guy. I think he's made a tremendous help to this passing game for Dallas. Definitely been an issue for the Giants to to defend. And right there next to Justin Jefferson, I think they're they're gonna be two of the top guys uh that are on the rise. I know that pains you to say it, but what he's doing out in Dallas is very impressive. And I wouldn't be surprised if come next year, even during training camp, we hear he's emerged as their wide receiver one overtaking Amari Cooper. I mean, to me, he's been playing like that already. That's exactly. And it's crazy. He's only 22 years old, 21 years old, and he, what he's doing is incredible. They talked about him last year, like heading into the, the draft, that he was the best route runner. And, yes, they say that every year. They've got to say it about some wide receiver each draft class. But, no, what C.D. Lamb is doing is remarkable. Dak Prescott and him have a great connection. And very soon, we're, gonna, we're not going to be talking about Amari Cooper or Michael Gallup. We're going to only be talking about CeeDee Lamb because of what he is doing consistently. It's a shame that he was out the past few games due to – was it COVID or was it injury? I believe it was COVID. Okay. Yeah, I'm pretty it, sure. Oh, yes. It was, his yeah. was COVID. Amari Cooper was concussion. So – it's good to, to see. No, 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 no. It was, it was flipped. It was flipped. My bad. It was flipped. I was. I thought you were talking about Amari Cooper. My bad. I was thinking Amari Cooper. Cooper was on COVID. CD got the concussion. Yeah. Either way, good to see him healthy. Whatever it is, whatever it is, because when he's on the field, he he makes plays. DJ, you got anyone? Uh, I mean, I don't know exactly how this one will go with you guys, but. I'd like to see more out of him, but Brandon Ayuk. I'd like to see him get more involved with Shanahan's scheme over in San Fran. His 2020 season wasn't terrible. He had 60 receptions for 748 yards and five touchdowns. And 2021's not off to a horrible start. He's got 32 catches for 432 yards. Slow start for finding the end zone with three touchdowns, but I think I think he can be one of those guys for Jimmy G and or Trey Lance when the time comes to be to be the guy and go to guy for that team. Ayuk, I think, is in a very tough situation because Debo Samuel Castle. I don't need you jumping in here because you're gonna love what I what I'm saying about this because you have him and he's helped you. Well, Nine and two in fantasy. Ten and two. Sorry about that. Sorry about that. But Debo Samuel is just an everything kind of guy. He's a wide receiver one. He's a running back one. He's a Swiss Army knife type guy. He'll line up anywhere. But it's tough for Ayuk to get the reps. So I I also would like to see more from him. I was a fan of his. So I hope he could produce more and take some reps away from Debo Samuel because now it's coming down in the playoff crunch where I need Castle to start losing some games here. Hey, don't don't forget about my guy Darnell Mooney. Just saying, I, 
hey, I like what I'm seeing out of him. And especially he stepped up when Allen Robinson hasn't, whether exactly. Allen Robinson's just been struggling or just been injured. Darnell Mooney, honestly, is just slowly working his way into a legit borderline wide receiver one target. I he's, got he's got the good he's chemistry. He's got the good chemistry field, field, I think. And yes, it's it's a lost year for the Bears, but it's not a lost it's not lost reps for Mooney and Fields. So I really like that pairing. So do I. So I think and he he was a mid round uh mid round gem, so and gems can be found throughout the draft. So that's the most beautiful point. So now before we end the show with our Sarmson Sidhams, talking about these guys coming out of college has got me reminiscent about something. Steve, I'm going to go to you first. I'm going to be very blunt with this. And I'll give my reasoning right after. Is the Heisman Trophy overrated? Is winning the Heisman overrated? Because, yes, it's the most prestigious award in all of college football. And, yes, there have been some great Hall of Famers that have won the award. But in terms of scouting for the NFL draft and what teams look for in their guys, is that really, like, what you should be prioritizing in terms of scouting? Okay, here's the thing. The Heisman Trophy is not overrated. I mean, the Heisman Trophy is the Heisman Trophy. Only, only one person wins it a year. And there's only, you know, that brotherhood of the Heisman Trophy winners. Like, I mean, you see all the commercials for Nissan, the Heisman House. I mean, there's legends in there. And then you see some guys like Johnny Manziel, Tim Tebow, who haven't really – you know, Tim Tebow had a lot more success in the NFL than Johnny Manziel, you know, had. Um, but – so – it's not overrated. I mean, if you win the award, you're arguably the best player in college football that year, you know, regardless of where you played, who you played, if you win the Heisman, you're, you're the best player. You're the most electric player. You, I mean, you just dominated college football, in my opinion. And really that's the truth. However, I see your point. And I think it's a good point that, Teams shouldn't just, well, they won the Heisman. They're automatically going to be the best player in the draft. Or, you know, they sh- we should definitely take them with our first pick. Because some guys don't work out. You know, some guys may not be a good fit on your team. So, you know, a guy like Devontae Smith, he won the Heisman. And the stats he put up, yes, he played for Bama and all that. But if you just watch his game, he is a great receiver. You know, and, you know, some people actually some people were concerned with some of with Devontae Smith a little bit with his size and his stature and his lankiness. But he plays tougher. He doesn't play to, you know, he plays bigger than his size reveals. So, you know, you can't just like, well, they win the Heisman Trophy. So we automatically, you know, they need to be drafted high. No, you got to like look at everything else. So, you know, that's why a guy like Devontae Smith has done well so far, because He's actually a great football player. He's a great receiver. He, the routes he runs is just unbelievable. He's a, you know such a good route runner. His hands are fantastic. He knows where he is on the field. You know he knows the the boundaries. Like he's so good at getting his feet in bounds. Like he's just such a good player. Um, so 
you do have to do more research. You can't just like, you know, really scout other guys. And then for the Heisman guy, be like, well, he won the Heisman. We don't need to scout him. He's going to be good. No, because that's not going to happen. But most of the times, if they're winning the Heisman, they should be playing at the next level. You know, even a guy like Joe Burrow, he had that insane year at LSU where he won the Heisman, throwing for 60 touchdowns, almost, you know, like 5,600 yards. Yes, he hasn't thrown for, I mean, granted, he got hurt at the end of his rookie year, but you're starting to see this year that, you know, he may not be a Rodgers or Mahomes, but he's going to be a solid quarterback in this league. So, you know, it, you just got to take everything with a grain of salt, and that's with the Heisman Trophy too. So, like, and I, you know, now I'm just repeating what I've been saying, but I think the Heisman Trophy is not overrated. If they win it, they deserve it, and they, you know, they should be playing at the next level. But they, you can't just take that and just automatically assume they will have success at the next level or should be the first overall pick and all that. Because that's, that's when you start getting a little outrageous, you know? And that's kind of where I was trying to get to because I don't think it's overrated, but I don't think that should mean automatic first pick or automatically the best player in that draft. Because, yes, at the time, it's different. We have different views about guys, and it's hard to imagine who will be the best at the time. But take Burrow, for example. Could he become the best player in this draft? Of course. He's got a great supporting cast now with Jamar Chase and T. Higgins. It's other boy, Joe Mixon. But out of that class, I think it's pretty obvious right now that Justin Herbert was taken after him and is the best from that draft. So there's I could go on with more examples, but I think teams need to kind of like you said take that take the award with a grain of salt and actually do their due diligence when it comes to researching these guys because okay Devontae Smith won the Heisman okay he's automatically the wider first wide receiver taken it's not a good way to scout because honestly it looks like Jamar Chase is going to be the best or even his Alabama teammate Jalen Waddle is doing better than him right now so that's my opinion. I don't think it's overrated, but I think when it comes to scouting, in a way, it can be perceived as overrated because it's meaningless because college and NFL don't always translate. Yeah, and, you know, to, again, kind of, I don't mean to keep repeating, but, you know, the team shouldn't let the Heisman Trophy um, heavily influence. It should have a bit of an impact on how they scout and how – that person's scouting goes, but they shouldn't let it dictate, you know, everything. And they should look at their traits, you know, their attitude and all this other stuff, because clearly, you know, Johnny Manziel, the attitude wasn't there. Um, or, or, even, and, or not even that, but talent, Sam Bradford didn't pan out. You, you got to look at their traits. You know, I mean, look at Lamar Jackson. He was a Heisman Trophy winner. He went 32nd, almost was about to go in the second round. And now he uh, – fifth and, and it was like fifth quarterback taken out of yeah. that class. And did he win an MVP already, right? Did he win that? Yeah, so he's already won MVP. You know, some people are saying he could be in the MVP conversation this year. So, you know, because he has those just freakish athletic traits um, and skill sets that not not too many guys have. So you got to look all more into it. And, um, and a trophy shouldn't just, like I said, dictate um, – them being the best because 
It's not true. I well, it was kind of just a thought that I had. I wasn't really sure if we'd like we'd get much out of it, but I'm glad we did because I'm glad there's like multiple point of views in terms of that. Because it was just like a random thought that I had like out of my head. And that also goes with the same thing that, that we talked about earlier with uh the interceptions. So I'm glad we talked about those. Now, before we wrap up, it's time to give our stardoms and sitoms our favorite segment of the week. Castle, I'm gonna pick on you, ten and two in our league. Seems like whatever you do, whatever move you make, turns to gold. So tell the people who they should start this week. I would just like to say I, I can't take all the credit. Having Jonathan Taylor do what he's been doing, having the receiving core, that's been big, uh, big factors, but I appreciate it. All right. So here are my two starts for this week. Now, the first guy that I'm going to say, I want the, the record to show that this is unbiased, that I am only stating that because this is a favorable matchup, and that is Saquon Barkley, and here's why. I think in terms of Miami's defense, they're stronger in the secondary. And Saquon showed some good flashes last week. But the biggest thing for me is if Daniel Jones does not play and it's Mike Glennon, I can definitely see Freddie Kitchens wanting to get Saquon more involved. Got to give him more reps eventually. So why not do it in a game where he can really explode and be beneficial I know that he's a starting running back for a lot of guys, so might not be, you know, the, the, the most obvious or, you know, whatnot. But look at how he's been doing this season. Look at his injuries. I'm sure he hasn't, you know, I'm sure he, his stock has declined in a lot of leagues and a lot of different teams. So if you've been sitting him, using him as a flex, contemplating, this is a very good week to start him. Unbiased opinion, I think he's going to have a good game. And the other guy that I'm saying that you should start is Kendrick Bourne. I think he is a very explosive receiver for this Patriots offense. Two touchdowns last week. He's really starting to develop a relationship with Mac Jones. Yes, they're playing the Bills, but Tredavious White is out for the season with a torn ACL. So I can definitely see him being able to expose that secondary a little more. And with the winning streak that the Patriots have been on, it's very hard to doubt them, doubt their production, especially against a division rival. So definitely start Kendrick Bourne. That Kendrick Bourne one is very good because while Jacoby Myers is getting touches, we've known that he just for some reason can't get in the end zone. That's where Kendrick Bourne has come in handy. You mentioned two touchdowns last week. Him and Mac Jones have a good connection when it comes to red zone. And I believe also one of his touchdowns was a long one last week, like a 40-yarder. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So he he's used everywhere. So that's a good pick. And primetime Kendrick Bourne, who knows? That could be a different animal. So good picks. Hopefully the Kendrick Bourne one isn't spot on just because he plays for the Patriots. So we'll see next week how that does. DJ, I know you got some picks. Let's hear these special, cool guy that you are pick the man of many hats is the official title there it is um this may be a little biased it may be not but i i think i think with the coordinator change 
in in New York that fans were waiting for for a long time now. Uh, I think Evan Ingram could be a good start this week. I know it's I can see by your you you'll interested there, Castle. You'll head nod. I don't know. I don't hate it. I can't believe I'm saying this, but the way he's been playing, I don't hate it. I don't either, and, and here's why. I liked the, his involvement with, with Kitchens last week. He had that I, – I don't know what play it was, but it was a 20, 25-yard after catch uh, reception, which was nice to see. It's nice to see Yak back in the offense. Um, he has been struggling, we could say the least, this season with catching the ball and, and dropping and dropping easy targets. But I think I think the Giants maybe have some rejuvenating confidence when it comes to this offense. And speaking of offense, I'm gonna go uh my second pick here. I'm gonna go with Jamal Williams against uh, Minnesota with DeAndre's kind of out with injury, right? No? I'm upset. I got I got him starting. It's a great pick. I'm, uh, I'm sad I got DeAndre Swift. I need him to play, but it doesn't look like that. So good pick. I know. It's unfortunate, but I think, I think Jamal Williams is going to be able to pick up the slack. He does have... 93 rushes for almost 400 yards and a couple touchdowns this season. So I think we can look for a big game for him in that Detroit backfield against Minnesota. I don't want, I mean, I, I, I think DeAndre, uh, Jamal Williams will do well in DeAndre Swift's absence. I'm praying that some miracle falls that DeAndre Swift, send, Swift ends up playing because he's a huge addition to my fantasy team and my playoff run that I've been making the last five, six weeks already. So fingers and toes are crossed at this point. Stevie, I'll let you go, and then I'll wrap it up. All right, so I got two running backs to start. Uh, And one of them, so Elijah Mitchell, 49ers running back, start versus Seattle. He's been on my bench the past couple weeks, and, man, he's going off. And we see Seattle's just not a good team this year. Um, you know, their defense was already been on the decline. So Elijah Mitchell, I think, is going to have a pretty solid day uh, against that Seattle defense. And then I mentioned him earlier in the show, but uh, Alexander Madison for the Vikings. He's playing Detroit. We know Detroit is uh, not the best defense. And Madison – you know, with Dalvin Cook being out, Madison, uh, every time he steps in for Cook, he always has a great game. You know, he's has he's had 100-yard rushing games whenever he started. So, you know, expect him to have um to have a big day against Detroit because Detroit's not good, and Minnesota, they can run the ball effectively. So, you know, between Elijah Mitchell and Alexander Madison, they're both – kind of reserved guys, um, especially Madison. You know, not too many people probably. And now people probably picked him up. But, you know, if you got these two, uh, I'm starting Mitchell. So, you know, start Mitchell and start Madison. And you should get some good results this week. Both solid, both solid. Madison, I think, is more expected just because, as we talked about earlier, Dalvin Cook has been out so much that Madison's been able to 
be thrown into the fire of that offense and be able to produce. And it seems like Cook's absence hasn't been as noticeable, even though it is, because instead of the guy rushing for like 120 yards, you're barely getting 90. But I like the pick. Good pick. And before we give our our, our sits, I'm going to go with my two starts. Starting Logan Thomas, the tight end for the Washington football team against Vegas. And he started the year, he was projected to be a top 10 tight end. Then he missed the last several weeks with an injury. He came back on Monday night against Seattle and already produced. I didn't expect him to do much, but Heineke was throwing him in the, in the open. And it was a good sight to see, especially for a guy who had missed six, seven games to be getting as many reps as he did. It's definitely a positive sign. He was a consistent 10-plus score when he was prior to his injury last year and started this year. So I like him this week against Vegas. Who Vegas, they beat Dallas on Thanksgiving. We saw that. But it was a high-scoring game. So their defense is good, but they're not great. They allow points. They allow yards. But they'll get their sauce when they need to. But that doesn't affect Logan Thomas. So I like him this week. And then my other is Mike Williams. And if you were to say this like four weeks ago, this would have been a given. He would have been starting on everyone's like wide receiver one because of what he'd been doing. But he had a huge drop off where he was not getting targeted as much. But last week we saw his targets go back up. Justin Herbert had been able to find a good balance between getting him and Keenan Allen the ball. So I expect that to continue this week, especially against Cincinnati, who they got a good defense, but it's really their front seven that they get to the quarterback, and then their secondary kind of drops off. They got good guys, but not great guys. If Von Bell is a safety, and then Jesse Bates, Jesse Jesse Bates, they got good safeties, but their corners are not as strong. They got Mike Hilton, but I like the matchup regardless. So those two, and that'll be a fun one: Cincinnati versus the Chargers, Herbert versus uh, Burrow. So, those are my two starts. And we'll change the rotation up. I'm going to give my sets first. First one I'm sitting is Derek Carr against Washington. And I really, I was torn on this because I really like what Derek Carr has done this year. And especially coming off a hot win on Thanksgiving. It was tough, but no Darren Waller is definitely a huge loss. Foster Moreau is going to be the tight end this week. But he's not a pass catcher. He's a blocking tight end. So there's already some targets gone. Hunter Renfro's been a, a steady guy for him. Deshaun Jackson has emerged again. So it's good to see that. But I don't know. Washington's defense has really looked sharp as of late, especially against Seattle. Basically, they shut down Russell Wilson in that potent offense. So I like. But I don't like uh, Derek Carr this week. And then my other is DK Metcalf. I don't know what's going on with DK this year. He's been a fantasy bust. He's been an NFL bust this year. I don't know what it is about him, but he just, I don't know if it's lack of care or it's lack of awareness. I don't know what it is. He just isn't getting open. He's just not getting the ball. I don't know if there's something going on with him and Russ because he's not getting touches. He's not getting the ball. He's not getting open. So. 
I'm sure if you have him in your fantasy league, you're probably towards the bottom of your league because he's been terrible this year. So sit him no matter who they're playing. But he's playing San Fran, and San Fran is playing really well this week, this year. So those are my two sets. PJ, I'll let you go next. Why, thank you, sir. Uh, this is also a really biased pick, but – uh, I want you. I want you to sit Jalen Waddle this week against the New York Giants. Uh, I had hinted on it earlier. Uh, the Giants' defense has stepped up huge this year. <laughs> In the past eight games alone, they've had at least an interception. And yeah, your man Waddle. Yes, and here's why: they played the Eagles last week and. Yes, the Eagles' air air, uh, air game needs some work, but before Adoree Jackson, Adore Jackson got injured, Devonta Smith had he had a few targets for some for some yards, and then James James Bradbury covered him the rest of the game, and he was non-existent. He had four targets, two catches for twenty-two yards for the whole game, so. I'm I'm really confident in in this Giants secondary. They've put a smile on my face when the offense hasn't, and defense wins games. So that's my first sit this week, and kind of the go along with you, Framowitz. My second one is sitting Russell Wilson. He hasn't he hasn't been himself, and I don't know what it is if he's losing what losing what he used to have the rust magic may be gone i don't know if it's pete carroll i don't know if it's if it's the offense around him i don't know if it's the line i don't know if it's the team i don't know what it is but this isn't the russell wilson that we all know and that we've all seen basically we watched him as we grew up so i i don't know what's gotten into him. I hope the Seahawks can turn it around. I want to see Russ and DK Metcalf have that connection again. But at least this week, it's a strong sit for me. Sit Jalen Waddle. I can't believe you said that. That, that. That's tough. I didn't want to hear that. I was riding hot. I got my good win streak going thanks to Jalen Waddle. But now you just said so. And the thing is, he's, he's hot. He's on a hot streak. He is. I'm just really confident in my team secondary, and I can't say that too many times this year. Hey, it is tough. Uh, I'm gonna definitely have to second guess my my uh, my choices this week. I don't know. You're making me think, and I don't like this because he was a confident start. So you're making me think. So that's never good. Well, I go digest that castle. Give your sits. Very solid, TJ. Definitely think, Josh, uh, you need to second guess now, my friend, because the secondary has been up to something. But we'll, uh, we'll have to wait and see on that one. So my first sit is going to be James Robinson running back for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Kind of a no-brainer for me going up against the Rams. They've been struggling lately. I think two losses, three losses in a row. This is a very winnable game for them. Bounce back game. Definitely expect Aaron Donald to be ripping through that Jacksonville line. So I say set him. 
And the other guy I'm saying to sit, he is questionable now, but if he does play, I am saying sit him, and that's Antonio Gibson, the running back for Washington. Yes, Vegas has – they've been doing well. They have been doing well, but so is Washington. I hate to say it, Washington is the m- more likely team to win. However, I think that if this defensive line can get to Gibson, that's going to shut it down tremendously. And I really do think that Vegas has got a tremendous defensive line, even without Nassib. He's still hurt, I believe. So I would say sit him, even if he's going to be healthy. They're going to they're gonna definitely expose whatever weakness he's got with this injury. Those are my two sits. Both solid, both solid. I can't complain. You didn't sit anyone else from my team, which is always a good thing to hear. TJ. Hey, man. I, I had to. I had, I had you could have said sit. Up. You could have said, like, sit Mike Gusecki. You could have said, said anyone else but Tua. That hurts. I'm sorry. I, I, don't, know what to, I don't know what to tell you. DJ, uh, Steve, Steve, go on. All right, so um, my two sits. First one, Dawson Knox, tight end for the Bills against the Pats. You know, we've seen the Bills offense. Uh, yeah, they had a good Thanksgiving showing, but, you know, I don't know. It hasn't been as electric as we've all thought it would be. So, yes, Dawson Knox has had a good year, but, you know, playing that Pats, the Pats, the Pats, the Pats have been so good. I just I can't emphasize it enough. They've been playing out of their minds lately, especially defensively. So, you know, they know he's a threat alongside Stefan Diggs, so they're definitely going to look to contain those two. Um, so if you have Darson Knox, I would sit him. And then the other one, you know, it pains me a little bit because he's a bear, but sit David Montgomery. Um, Montgomery really hasn't performed that well lately. Um, he hasn't, I don't think he's rushed for over a hundred yards in quite a while. He's only like the most highest amount of fancy points he's got in the past couple weeks is 10. And we're playing against Arizona who has one of the better defenses in the league. So I just don't see him really, you know, turning around this week. Um, so yeah, if you got Montgomery, I would say sit him. Both very solid. Montgomery. I'm sure that pains you to to come up with. Uh, but before we wrap up and give our usual sits, Stevie, you have another announcement you wanted to make regarding uh, something big in baseball. Oh yeah, so uh, you know the baseball little. Uh, I mean, it's developing, but also a little bit developed already. Um, the MLB is in a lockout, and uh, you know. Just very disappointed. Uh, the fans are, the players are. So it seems like the owners don't care. It seems like Commissioner Rob Manfred, who a lot of us despise, don't doesn't care. So uh, we're gonna keep. We're gonna definitely uh, follow this because this is like, I think the ninth time total that this has ever happened. So definitely big news, and um, and we love baseball. So hopefully they can figure this out because. I need to watch Yankees baseball come spring and summer and they don't, I'm not going to be happy. Yeah. Steve is already very upset with the bears and Wisconsin and 
everything else, you name it. So if Steve is angry year-round because of no baseball, oh, boy, we won't hear the end of it. So before we sign off, DJ, thank you, thank you, thank you. You're killing it with your Instagram posts. Keep up the great work. We love what you're doing. So make sure you check out at the 3P Podcast on Instagram. DJ's cooking up some posts every day. And if you got some suggestions of what he should post, DM the Instagram at 3P Podcast. DJ's open to suggestions. Unless it's a hate comment about the Giants, then you'll be blocked. And also, TJ, uh, sorry, wow, I was looking at TJ. Kevin from Wild Chat Sports, we want to thank you. Being a great partner with us. They've got some great content as well. Podcasts, blogs, you name it, they've got it. So check them out as well. So thank you all for tuning in to another 3P Podcast episode. We'll